Welcome to episode 24 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with them, Anthony Zamorov, and me, Tom Laird, and of course, this guy on the other side of the line, who is Derek Scott, our special guest from the northeast of Scotland. Uh, he is also he's also amongst other things the deputy, deputy. Führer, oh sorry, deputy leader of the Scottish the Scottish Libertarian Party. Um, who's the who's the leader? That's Derek, some twat I heard. The Uldici, <laughs> I heard he's got a very nice line in uh, sexy hats that he likes to wear. <laughs> okay, well I'll avoid him at all costs. <laughs> Um, sorry. Okay, so Derek's with us today and Derek's going to be chatting and the subject for today's show is open borders and immigration and Derek's going to school us all on why, right. because this is a this is a, a bone of contention even amongst libertarians. It's a massive hot topic in the world of libertarianism and online intellectual thought at the moment yeah. and so I guess Derek's going to tell us why libertarians should still be in support of open borders sure now like you say it's uh it is a bone of contention um even among libertarians which i find a, a very surprising thing um particularly from the libertarian perspective is that simply you wouldn't no libertarian would support government intervention in you know health or education or numerous other areas where we would like to get the government you know our whole party's reason d'etre is to get government out of people's lives. And I don't see why libertarians would support government control of immigration or borders and use that as, a, as an exception. Uh, I mean, I don't trust the government to run my health care. Why do I trust them with uh, the, the borders here? Leaving aside... What do, you, what, do the, what do you make of the retort then that, in fact, mass immigration is a government program? Right, so that's what I was going to mention. We've heard very popular speakers in our movement like Stefan Molyneux, although some contest whether he's still a libertarian, certainly he's been very prominent in bringing people to libertarianism. And he says immigration is a government program. What's wrong with that? Well, the simple fact is that you're not going to get Theresa May out in uh, the deserts of Syria picking people up and putting them on a plane. It's uh, complete nonsense. Uh, I've never held such a bullshit argument in my whole life. Right. Um, it's not a government program. Um, and even if it were, you know, again, put it down to a stop, but people don't have to come here. They're not forced to come here. They come here because they want to come here. It's a desirable place to live. It's, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the West in general. They come here because they desire to come here, not because, you know, Tony Blair or Gordon Brown or whoever decided that this would be a good idea for cultural engineering or social engineering uh, purposes and at the end of the day you can't force someone to get on a plane you can't force someone to stay here um, no, but you can incentivize them you can incentivize them but uh pray tell me why then does uh, for example i mean put out my uh, my biases right here to begin with obviously my wife is an yeah, immigrant you have, a, you have a dog in the fight oh sorry that's that's the i've seen your wife she's lovely i don't you have a you have a stake in the game that's a better way i do I, I i have i have a stake in the game so i have a personal interest in this um when i hear people say that it's a government program then i ask why it's so difficult for myself or anybody else i mean i have a, a good friend in the libertarian party in uh, aberdeen who has a, a wife from Iran and they have very similar, they go through very similar problems that me and my wife do. I mean, for example, we are now at the point where my wife has been in the country for nearly 10 years and it's only now after, and she's in a very well-paid job, uh, does very well for herself, mm -hmm. uh, pays an absolute arm and a leg in taxes. She earns more than, more than I do and uh, she pays an arm and a leg in taxes. And yet, 10 years down the line, we're at the point now where we can apply for a certain visa status called indefinite leave to remain, ILR. Wow. And even to have the right to pay for this, uh, to have the right to apply for this, we have to pay for it. And it's about two and a half thousand pounds for the ILR. Um, and, and, and your wife's from a Commonwealth country. Is that, would that be correct to say sorry? that she's... Your wife's from a Commonwealth country. Yes, indeed. From a former British colony. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've experienced, I mean, I've got friends who would love to emigrate to the UK from America. Um, New, and then we know how hard it is for people from America to emigrate here, for New Zealand, Canada, Australia, um, countries like that. It's in, for some reason, it's incredibly difficult. 
if you're not in the EU. And then obviously there's other places in the in the world where it seems at least that people people are saying it seems to be a lot more easy for people to immigrate here from. Now, obviously we must have we must have it doesn't take much to notice that in some ways we've been certainly been benefiting from multiculturalism in terms of I can go and get a pizza or an Indian or Chinese food or go to a Thai restaurant and um, in fact since over the last can, can I just stop you, can yeah. I yeah. you in, in mid-sentence there Tony um, you've said one of my favorite hate words um, which is Thai restaurant yeah, well yeah goddamn Thai restaurants I hate <laughs> Uh, no, I really don't. I quite like Thai food, but um, okay. but the idea of multiculturalism as itself is, you say that as though it's almost a new thing, um, and this is one thing that mm. burns my toast, uh, yeah, is yeah. talking about multiculturalism as though it is some sort of social engineering program that's been invented by politicians. The whole nature and history of all culture, every culture, is multiculturalism. You know, I go down the roads from Aberdeen down to Edinburgh, and Edinburgh is distinct and different from Aberdeen. I can't get a buttery uh, down in, in Edinburgh. And in Edinburgh, you guys love chippy sauce on, on your chips, and I think that's disgusting. You know, if every different, you know, every area in the world is distinct and different from each other, but they merge together and they have, they impact each other and they influence each other. And you're talking about like, Thai restaurants, curry restaurants, etc. The very first curry restaurant was opened in 1810 in the UK, right. which was but it wasn't years, But it was 50 years before the very first quintessential British mm -hmm. chip shop. 50 right. years beforehand, yet we assume that the chip shops have been here forever and that, you know, Indian restaurants are somehow this you know, the symbol of multiculturalism, and isn't it that wonderful that we're all, you know, swapping wonderful culinary ideas? You know, mm. whereas I, the Indian restaurant is in the UK, in a part of the UK, for 50 years longer than something that we would assume would be traditionally quintessentially British. I hear you. And, um, you know, we've heard examples like, well, what could be more American than the Italian New Yorker, you know? Or, or indeed the Jewish New Yorker. These are or like the hamburger. These are American. It's not American at all. <laughs> these are, you know, well, I mean, the pizza is considered quintessentially an American food now, although supposedly originally from Italy. In fact, this is something uh, we're, I'm going to come come to more more challenging arguments sooner. I think we are because we want to really hack this out today. But it occurs to me that if we took the no open border, if America took the no open borders policy say during uh, after the, the second world war during the second world war uh, we or even before that we would have lost Anne Rand and Ludwig von Mises two of the figures who have probably converted if through the lineage of their ideas more people to libertarianism than almost anyone else but there is this concern that if at that time there wasn't so much of you know welfare uh, we weren't providing free educate. Well, we were to an extent, but not healthcare as universally the roads, and not there is a worry amongst many libertarians that with the wealth of benefits that we are giving to citizenry in our countries, not only are you going to attract far more immigrants than you would otherwise, but you're you're not. You might actually be attracting more people who want to come for those things and less people who actually want to come over to drag themselves up by the bootstraps and work themselves and work their ways up into self-sufficiency and and so forth i mean i think that anyone you know who leaves another country despite all the risks for a better future for their child uh, despite the risk of being deported, you know, if they if what they want to do is pull themselves up, up by the bootstraps and create a better life for themselves and their family, they're a hero for um, taking those risks. But people are concerned about the, the impact of economic migrants. And so what's your response to that? Uh, well, uh, my response to that would be that it's, uh, I can understand where you come from, I hear that a lot, but it's unfortunately, it's a position that's 
essentially founded in paranoia and is not supported by the facts. So three things to, to say then. First off, that's uh, not an argument against open borders or immigration per se. That's an argument against welfare state, statism and uh, public education, public provision of these goods. Second of all, the uh, immigrants over a period from 2001 to 2011, I'm quoting research here from the Econ Royal Economic Society, um, the immigrants were 43% less likely than UK natives to receive state benefits and 7% less likely to live in social housing. So the idea that immigrants are coming here for state benefits, etc., is simply not supported by the numbers. The net fiscal positive contribution that immigrants made during this period of 2001 to 2011 was 15 billion pounds net positive against a UK native net negative financial contribution mm. of 617 billion. So okay. put those two figures ne you know, next to each other, positive 15 billion, net negative 617 billion. There's a big gap there. So I think we can see straight away that if you're talking about people living off of benefits, taking more out of the system than they're putting in. You need to look at the UK native population rather than immigrants. This is, you know, because they are the people that are providing the net negative financial contribution. Um, and then we have the third point, which you brought there, which is people being educated by the public education system here, which, you know, leaving aside the fact that, you know, education, public education system isn't all that great here anyway, the, Certainly looking at EU immigrants, I'm looking at only EU immigrants because I only have the EU immigrant figures here. Right. Um, EU immigrants are better educated than, uh, and, and they make up the vast majority of the immigration to, to the UK. Um, the EU immigrants coming from EU 15 uh, countries, 62% of them are likely to have a degree. And folk from the Central and Eastern European states, the A10 states, 20, likely 25% of them were likely to have a university degree. That's a, as against the UK native population, 24%. So you can see a, a lot more highly educated. And that was figured out by the, the same group, the Royal Economic Society, to have been uh, essentially, they were bringing with them an education from outside of the country okay. that would have cost 6.8 billion for this country to provide during that same period. Okay. Would okay. Like um, no, nah, I, I really don't have any. I can't. I can't refute those figures because I don't have counter figures actually to re, to refute those figures. So I guess I just need to take you take your word for that for those ones. But those. But that's particularly for EU migration. That's that's for EU migration, and like Tony mentioned earlier, why uh, countries you know, outside of the EU, you know, Australia, US, India, Commonwealth countries, for example, are having a much harder time of uh, emigrating here to the UK. <laughs> that's because it's really the only area that the UK has control or, or any sort of real sense of control over yeah, the level of migration. So they tend to make that very overly restrictive as compared to EU migrants, which is part of the free market they've got to sign up to the founding principle of the, right, well, the people. Before we go on, I'd actually like to make a qualification that I probably should have made right at the beginning of the interview. What are open borders? Because obviously when you say open borders, you don't mean letting uh, known criminals or murderers or terrorists or, or, you know, you don't mean literally like you can just walk, walk anyone can just walk across the border at any time you know no one has a conception of open borders that means we can't stop people who plan to come here and do harm coming in so can you explain a little bit about that absolutely uh, open borders as, as i would posit them uh, are essentially doesn't doesn't necessarily have to mean no border security so open borders not meaning open borders uh not meaning uh, no border security would essentially mean that anybody who's coming into the well, the country would be subject to a background check and a health and safety check to make sure that they had no, you know, sort of significant danger to the public. You know, they weren't didn't have a terrorist background and they weren't carrying Ebola. Um, but beyond that, the government would have no right to refuse someone who wished to come into the country and work and settle there. That's essentially all that it would be: a public health and safety check and a criminal background check, and then done. No other involvement in that. What about? Do you think that there should be any number, any limit on the number of immigrants whatsoever? I mean, uh, if you think, 
I mean, people can say things like, you know, we've got a housing shortage in the UK, which is actually because government won't let people build more houses and has maximum occupancy laws and things like that. But even if we remove those, it would take some time for the um, for the the country to catch for the infrastructure to catch up. I believe over the last few years we've had over three hundred thousand immigrants per year. That's you know looking at over a million over four years in a country with a population of around 70 million. Do you think that, that there's any realistic limit to immigration and that do you worry at all that if we uh, had truly open borders, you know, 70 million people could come here all in one year and do you anticipate any problems from that at all? Well, let's uh, let's look at that from two perspectives. Then, uh, first off, you know, where where would you set the number? How would you set the number? It's uh, entirely arbitrary if it was going to be set by government bureaucrats. I mean, what a hundred thousand, ten thousand? Uh, the, the Tory government talked about getting the uh, immigration number below a hundred thousand per year. As you as you mentioned, it was three hundred. It's been running around the three hundred thousand mark for the last uh, period in time. Um, but I mean, well, 100,000 is a nice number. Is 10,000 a nicer number? Is 5,000 ideal? You know, is 300,000? You've absolutely no idea. And the reason that you've absolutely no idea for it, and no government bureaucrat has no idea for it, is that these things are set by the free market. Right. Now, if you were not, but we're not operating in a free market. No, we're not operating on a free market. However, there is still no getting away from market consequences of things like Tony was saying, you know, a vast increase in population. Let's say there's 3 million people arrive in the country in one year. What do you think that's going to do to housing prices? It's going to drive them through the bloody roof, which makes this country as an, a place to emigrate to very, very much less desirable simply because it's too expensive to do so. Okay, well, okay, so, so let me come back at you in that one which is someone who was trying to be more critical might just say, all right, so Derek, your idea is to turn this country into a shithole so that no one else wants to emigrate here. That's your that's your that's your plan for putting a well, limits on immigration. Well, I would I would have to uh, challenge your idea that uh, an increased property price would result in the country becoming a shithole per se. <laughs> you have to remember as well, Tony, is that there is a like I say a net positive fiscal contribution. So things like infrastructure, all the rest of it, you know, they, they will benefit, the NHS will benefit from increased migration, the infrastructure will benefit but from... But are you migration. not being too hasty in lumping, like, a, a collectivist view on, right, here's the immigrants and here's the native population, is there not a more discerning way of looking at immigrants, and, and which is exactly what the libertarians are, who claim that border restrictions are necessary at this point, um, which is to look at what immigrants are going to create a net contribution and allow them in, while at the same time protecting, in their view, the property rights of natives by, by not taking in people who are going to be a net drain on the system because that's basically a violation of the property rights of the taxpayers including immigrants who are pay paying taxes. Well, okay, let, let me put it to you in a slightly different way than Tony. Um, should, for example, let's say that um, people from Dundee uh, live off of state benefits to a right. higher degree than do people in Edinburgh. Now, would you restrict migration from Dundee to Edinburgh on the basis that somebody from Dundee was more likely to go to the doctors or to use your local public school than uh, to you know go to Fetis College, for example, and pay the hefty fees there. Um, no, you wouldn't. You would probably think it was quite preposterous. And uh, again, that's an argument against public welfare provision and public education provision rather than an argument against people being allowed to move where they want to move. And that is what immigration restriction is, is a restriction on people being able to move where they want to move and to work where they want to work. Um, again, when you bring in things like public state provision of uh, public sector goods, welfare, education, and all the rest, of it, that's an argument against that. It's not an argument against immigration. Okay. But when, can I just back up a bit and ask you, why would property prices be going up sky high? Why would that be a good thing? Surely as libertarians, we want the cost of living to come down not go up. I mean, why, why you know, we, we want property to be more available, not less available. 
Uh, well, in which case, again, you're arguing against government planning restrictions and regulations there, which are the primary things that hold back the development of new properties and new areas. Again, that's an argument against government interference in areas of our lives. I don't think that restricting migration in any sense will affect that whatsoever. And what you also have to look at is in terms of the demographics that the whole country as a whole has. We have an aging population here. And when a population ages beyond a certain limit, people go from being net buyers of household to net sellers because they die. And at the moment, the, the older the population gets, you are going to have more and more houses coming onto the market naturally over the next 10 to 15 years anyway, simply because the baby boomer generation, which is the largest post-war generation out there, is going to start dying off in their droves just simply through the natural process of aging. And through that, you are going to get more houses naturally coming onto the market anyway, which is going to drive down property prices across the whole country. I mean, everyone who thinks that property prices are going to go up in their, uh, you know, that's what we've all been used to. That's what we've all grown up with. But that's not always going to be the case. And it doesn't always have to be the case. And like I say, the reason for that is simply because of the demographics. People will go from being net buyers to net sellers within the next 10 to 15 years because you are going to see this baby boomer generation start to die off. Okay. Okay. What about... Right, we know that it takes um, £65,000 to imprison someone in this country and 40000 for each year they remain incarcerated. Should we have the right to deport immigrants who commit a crime here permanently rather than send them to jail here? At taxpayers' expense. <sighs> to be honest, that's not something I've really ever thought about. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. I don't see, like I say, um, open borders wouldn't mean no border security. So if you have a person who's come from a different country of origin and they commit a crime, then by all means deport them. I don't see why that would be a problem. At the end of the day, they've broken the law. If you have a part of the law that uh, signifies that you have to, you know, as, as a person born in a different country of origin, you will be deported to that, then by all means, go ahead and do that. I don't see that how that's incompatible with open borders per se. Okay, let's get into the more controversial uh, arguments here. Let's talk about... Because these are all economic arguments, yeah. and, I and I don't necessarily think... I think most libertarians who have reservations, including yeah. myself, about mass immigration, it's really mass immigration that we're talking about. And I think that possibly in the last 10 years, at least, we've saw unprecedented mass immigration from certain areas, uh, trouble spots in the world. And that raises uh, not just the economic arguments, which I think generally most libertarians don't accept, but philosophical yes, arguments. I think that there's not really a... In my investigation of the economics, I don't think there's any good economic arguments against immigration. For example, people say, well, they took our jobs. Well, if you know anything about... Uh, about economics, you know that human wants are unlimited. Therefore, on a free market, there's an unlimited number of jobs. The problem is with wage controls, with um, controls over who can do what for how much money, uh, who can employ whom and such like. There's an infinite number of jobs to be done. So that's wrong. And then they say, well, they just send their money back to whatever country they come from. Well, that's not a problem either. Supposing someone comes here and earns pounds then sends those pounds back to Somalia or wherever they came from. Well, the only thing you can spend pounds on is British goods. So <coughs> some, somehow or another, those pounds are eventually going to come back here and that's and they're going to be spent on British goods and that's going to stimulate the economy. So I don't accept any economic arguments against immigration. I think what one thing that people are definitely worried about is shock the term values, right? There is a belief that there are certain values that made European cultures particularly economically successful and they were not easily won, right? free speech, critical thought, individual rights, the golden rule, democracy, free markets, separation of church and state. Those are seven that I, I can think of. And many of them were not easily won in Europe. It's particularly things like free speech and separation of church and state. Yeah. I mean, Voltaire famously, when they were burning his books outside a courtyard, remarked to his friends, well, they've come on somewhat. They used to burn the author. 
And uh, so there's a feeling that, you know, through killing each other and stuff like that over ages, we finally went, do you know what, this is fucked up. Let's get the, the, the church out of the government. Let's, and uh, let, let's allow anyone to say what they want. Let's have religious freedom. Everyone can have their own religious freedom. And then there's things like critical thought and individual rights, which are individual rights, particularly as a European philosophical tradition, you know, birthed by the the philosophers of the of the Enlightenment in Europe. And these systems of thought are social technologies. Many people fear that they're already under threat from people in this country and that ultimately if you let you know millions of people in who have the vote, that's the critical point then they can vote away these freedoms which took us centuries to arrive at. So I'm sure you've heard this argument before and are well prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially, you're talking about two things there, which are essentially the European culture philosophy and the key word here being assimilation. Um, the idea that mass immigration will change the nature of a country because people want to come here to change it. I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of why people move to another country. At the end of the day, if somebody wants to make the country like their home country, there is no incentive for them to move. They have an incentive to move because they want somewhere different. And because what the West offers is that something different, that is what they move for. It's the idea that uh, this, you know, the, the country, the West as a whole, has these things, like you say, individual rights, freedom of speech, um, freedom of assembly, so on and so forth. Now, I think, and, and certainly from the experience that I've had with certainly lots of work in a very cosmopolitan place, Aberdeen's uh, a great deal more cosmopolitan than Scotland as a whole. Um, the, and you know, that might sound like a funny statement to say, but it's, it's very true. But it relies, like I say, on a fundamental misunderstanding of why people move to the country, because they want these things. They don't want to come here to overthrow them. There may be a minority among them that will. But I think a far greater threat is to these fundamental rights and freedoms comes from within our own UK native-born population. It comes yeah. from socialists. It comes from your social justice warriors. It comes from your labor lefties who want to criminalize singing songs at football because somebody's feelings might get hot. Um, these sort of things are the, you know, they, they take a little bite and they hold on to these freedoms, another little bite, and, you know, they start taking away the small freedoms that we have, and very soon we won't notice the larger freedoms being taken away. But these aren't being taken away by any immigrant population that's come here. They are being taken away by our politicians. They're being taken away by the people that already live here. That's, these are far greater threats to these fundamental rights that you're talking about than anybody from outside of the country coming here. Um, so that's essentially the, the first argument that I would make on that. It's entirely. a fair point, to be quite honest. It's, it's something that I just, I really, I really believe very strongly in. And it's something that's also, again, borne out by numbers and figures. I like, I mean, I'm, as you can tell, very much into economics and numbers and figures, because these are, you know, they're facts, they're, they're actually demonstrable and things that you can't argue with. And one of them, for example, is the, the Scottish population. For example, we've got 5.3 million roughly in the country. It's a, an all-time high population number for, uh, for this country. Of that, you know, the country, 5.3 million people. Out of that 5.3 million, the largest immigrant population is Pakistani in origin. There's only 50,000 of them. 5.3 million, 50,000. Less than 1% currently existing here. You would need if you wanted to have some sort of aggressive mass immigration population to overthrow a weight of numbers against the local UK native born population, you would need 5 million immigrants to come of that 5 million being implacably opposed to these things that you're talking about, individual rights, freedom of speech, so on and so forth. And then you would need some more on top of that 5 million to make that overturning of the you know constitution of the country a viable option at the voting box the numbers simply don't stack up um, and even if you look at when we were talking about 300,000 coming into the UK uh, on, on a yearly average Germany has been in the headlines for the the volume of immigration it had in 2015 it had record numbers of 1 million 
uh, in a single year uh, coming into that country, but that's still one eightieth of the population. It's a staggeringly small number in terms of percentage towns. And again, you want to look at well, what's what's changed since then. Again, the the countries reacted to that. They've changed that. They've put in immigration restrictions, and now their their immigration is running at you know very much vastly lower levels post the EU Turkey deal um, on uh, Syrian refugees. Yeah. Again, they've, they've thrown into um, uh, some sort of state of confusion by uh, refusing accession talks with Turkey uh, to, as that was part of the deal, was that they would get visa-free travel extended to Turkey. The EU, EU Parliament's now voted against that and said that they're not going to extend that right to Turkey. So Turkey's now threatening to um, essentially weaponize refugees and uh, use these as a bargaining chip, which I think is just hideous. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, you're you're weaponizing human beings for God's sake. Um, these people are desperate, hungry. They they don't want to be stuck in Turkey any more than you know they wanted to be stuck in Syria. Um, and at the end of the day, they're being bargained away between two giant state oligarchies uh, over you know certain rights and all the rest of it, which is just created through the government apparatus. And it's uh, that to me is just hideous. And of course, at the time of the Syrian refugee crisis, we had um, Saudi Arabia refusing to let any Syrian immigrants in, and other other um, surrounding nations taking the same policy. Do you think? Well, that's that that's not true, Tony. Um, uh, okay. Look at uh, Jordan took in two point two million. I didn't say all the other all the all the Arab nations. There was a number. There was a number of nations who refused to take any in. I'm just wondering if you think. So, so say that again. Derek, how many do you reckon Jordan took in? I think it was 2.2 million. Was Jordan, Pakistan took in? That's a staggering amount of the, yeah. because I mean, like the, the population of Jordan can't be any more than what about 11 million? It's. I, I think it's less than that. I think it's quite close to Scotland's population. I think it's about five. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't mean to diminish the contribution of Jordan. Do you think there should have been pressure from Western governments on those nations in the region that refused to take in immigrants to to take in those immigrants rather than this moaning about them coming here? Or do you think that's a false dichotomy and neither was necessary? No, I, I would agree it was a false dichotomy. I wouldn't say it was uh, necessary because, again, you're getting into the using human beings as bargaining chips uh, style situation. At the end of the day, if you're a refugee from a war zone, the ultimate aim is to get out the war zone. You don't really care where you're going to go. You just don't want bombs dropping on your head. Um, it's that's not quite true, though, Derek, because to the, Turkey's not a war zone. Okay, Turkey's not a war zone. France isn't a war zone. I was, I was, hey. I was going. I was just a way to get to that point. Okay. Uh, I'm talking about your sensor. Your, your immediate concern is obviously to get away, from, you know, yeah. out of artillery range. Once you're out of artillery range, you're, you know, you, you've got some food, you've got some shelter. Your next objective is going to be right. Okay, well, I'm living in a, you know, refugee camp. What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to build a better life for myself? At the end of the day, there's nothing for me to go back for unless I want to get shot at. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, you're going to look at where are your best options at that point and how, how can you possibly fault anybody for that? It's, I would do exactly the same damn thing if uh, Scotland were to become a war zone at the end of the day, you're going to, you know, well, okay, right, let me put you up, would you necessarily, I mean, would you, okay, I, 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 I hesitate to say it, but let's call it running away. Would you run away and leave your family, distant family, friends, to fend for themselves. I mean, if you could do some good, I mean, like, you, you may not want to fight. You may not want to pick up a weapon and stand a post. You may be opposed to that, but you can carry a stretcher. You can look after people who are wounded. You can dig into rubble and and and, and you know and clear rubble away and, and dig children out of there. You can deliver food. You know, there's a whole lot of things that you can do uh, to help. And yet, when you look at the refugee camps, uh, certainly in uh, the the, the got the so-called jungle in France and a few other places, it seems predominantly young, fit, able-bodied men. You know, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not children predominantly. It's, they're, they are there, but it's not predominantly women and children. It's guys, young guys who are fit, who've elbowed their way onto lifeboats past the weak and the feeble to get themselves into safety. Isn't there something rather shabby about that? 
Well, now you're, you're getting into an argument about sort of um, moral equivalence and uh, yeah, okay. what is the right thing to do. Um, I'd love to say that, yes, should something like that happen, I would be a brave man, I would stand up and I would protect my local community and all the rest of it. However, I fear at the sound of the, the first gunshot, I'd probably be running at about 100 miles in the opposite direction. So, right. um, you know, honestly, I can't comment on that. I've never been in a war zone. You have. You know what it's like. I don't, so I can't say how I would react in that situation, right. and nor would, and, and therefore I just wouldn't want to pass judgment on uh, anybody for that because I've I've never been in that situation. I know that, like I say, because there are people still in Syria. There are people who are there. There are people who are working. They're, they're doing aid work. In fact, there's there's people from countries. They're not Syrians. There's people from Europe. There's people from America. There's people from all over the world who are actually in Syria, putting their life at risk to help local people whereas their own guys are doing their damnedest to get their ass on a lifeboat and get the hell out of there i mean no i, I, I fully agree it's like like i say it's uh it's something that um like i say is moral equivalence it's i i couldn't pass I, mean, it on, but you guys, I guess like i've never been under fire so yeah i mean i guess what's happening here is we're, we're conflating i think possibly two <laughs> very different phenomena we're looking at uh, immigration under normal circumstances. As you've said, like in a free market system, I would be, I would concede that in a completely free market system, the market itself would be the best regulator of immigration. You know, if there were no jobs here and there was no welfare net, then nobody's going to come. It's really that simple. Um, but when we talk about the incentivization. Um, of immigrants, when you provide that safety net and when you provide those, I mean, look, look you can say that, you know, immigrants don't take up uh, social housing. The fact of the matter is they do. And I know even locally in Edinburgh and in Lanarkshire, where I'm from, there are uh, refugees as opposed to immigrants taking up um, social housing that people have been waiting, let's say, 20 years. 25 years waiting for to be socially housed. I'm not saying social housing is a good thing. I'm just saying it exists. And at mm -hmm. the moment, people who've possibly paid in, their parents have paid in, they're all waiting around for it to get socially housed. And then suddenly they see um, refugees, for want of a better word, taking up social housing that, that they believe they should have. Could you, could you understand maybe at least the anger? Yeah, I, I can understand, but I think it's misplaced because ultimately okay. the people who are uh, operating these prioritization lists, and I don't disagree with you, it does exist, um, but it's, you know, it, again, this is a government program. It's the government that's deciding to prioritize certain people over others. And it's the government. So I mean, that's immigration kind of as a government. It's not a concerted government program, but it seems to be, especially for left-leaning governments, you know, if we bring in lots of immigrants and we give them housing and we give them benefits, these people are going to be eternally grateful to us and they're going to keep us in power. It's, I, I don't deny that uh, the governments take some sort of benefit and especially, you say, left-leaning socialists take some sort of advantage from that. Um, it's in the nature of politics to take advantage of certain groups and to incentivize yeah. certain groups. However, the idea that it's a government program, I mean, again, I don't see Theresa May on a plane going out to, you know, wherever, pick people up on a plane. They can make it easier or they can make it more difficult. And I can tell you for a fact, living with an immigrant, that it is goddamn difficult to live in this country as an immigrant. It's goddamn expensive and it's goddamn difficult. Have you even tried speaking to immigration and visa? I got married at the start of the year to, to my good, lovely lady. And yeah. I had to speak to six or seven different government departments to find out if I even had the right to get married to her. I couldn't, I couldn't even get my answer. I know. I, I, get, I get you. And I, and I, I know that you're, you're speaking the truth because I've not I've had friends. It's, I've got a friend of mine married a, a Palestinian girl and they went, they went through a very similar. And she was highly educated, highly skilled uh, and, you know, um, and, and, and able to earn quite a bit of money, you know, the ludicrous situation, she wanted to work and she wanted to earn, there were jobs available, but she couldn't take them because yeah. government bureaucracy said you, you can't do it, you know, which meant, which meant she had to live off, you know, her husband in the state where she could have actually been earning for herself. I understand that. But um, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, so I, I know what you're saying is true, but in a sense, what you're trying to do is you're trying to do things by the book. 
And in my experience, be it the welfare system or be it the immigration system, the more you actually try to comply with the system, the more they'll screw you around. Uh -huh. The people who end up benefiting are people who don't play by the rules, who buck the system, who just arrive, uh, you know, who, who find um, illegal ways to enter the country. And they're the people who end up jumping to the head of the queue. I mean, that would seem, that would seem unjust. And how do, we, how do we remedy that? Well, again, I, I mean, you, you, what you're talking about here is obviously the, the sort of typical scale stories that you get out of the Express and the Mail and all the rest of it. I'd love to. Well, see I don't need. I don't need the Express and the Mail. I know that it happens. You know. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying that these, uh, these are very typical of scare stories that you do see in the, uh, the, the very anti-immigration uh, right-wing press that you get from uh, the Express and the Mail. Again, I, I can't say that that's never going to happen. Of course, it's going to happen. You're always going to get people who abuse the system. However, the vast majority of people who are abusing the system are not immigrants. It's UK native-born population who take yeah, out the system. And then makes the point that, um, this, uh, the, the people who are not complying with the system uh, get better treatment. That's uh, more uh, an argument for undermining that system. Uh, I just wanted to... I'd, just wanted to add to something that you said, okay. which is certainly in America, it seems like Democrats have had a, a stake in allowing as um, many Mexican immigrants in as possible because they overwhelmingly vote Democrat. And that's what's led these uh, libertarians who say that um, the left are more big government, uh, that that immigration is a government program because they're bringing in people specifically who have more statist views. Uh, on that point, I'm not 100% sure it's true because I don't really believe that conservatives in America are for smaller government. Yeah. At least there's no evidence that they are. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary. Yeah, and I, I think that the left is not necessarily worse on every issue. I mean, they uh, maybe in America they are because they say they're anti-war, <laughs> but don't really undermine Obama when he creates wars, they say they're for civil liberties but don't really undermine Obama when he uh, violates them. I, I, I just feel like, I think they're, oh, uh, sorry, I was well, trying to... Well, you feel, you oh, feel, yeah, I, feel. Right, I think okay. we need to move, I'd like you. to move the conversation on and tackle a point which, you know, we're going to get hate mail if we don't tackle, which is something that we just need to look straight in the face, which is people are concerned about Muslim immigration. Let's face it. So let's to to be charitable to that position because if or, we don't to be specific mass islamic mass islamic uh, immigration because we should cover these arguments otherwise the people are going to think that we are just basically shilling, shilling and that we're not providing their the the their strong arguments you said that five million odd people would have to come in to significantly change the country and on top of that more Not than to democratically overthrow the country democratically right. overthrow the country but, but it doesn't take overthrow. that many people to start causing problems and if we look at the example of sweden which tried an open borders policy with a generous welfare state for immigrants particularly for immigrants right and uh, incentivized especially children so that you had adults pretending they were children to to take advantage of the welfare state right and what you saw was basically at the time when they were trying this the media was saying you're mentally ill if you think there's a problem with unlimited immigration so far and what you saw was towns in the south of Sweden, which were um, completely peaceful, there was incidents of people throwing Molotov cocktails regularly. The, the crime rate went up. It was linked directly to immigrants, and the lack of the ability of the welfare state to assimilate and integrate immigrants, integrate integrate foreigners, a lack of social mobility for immigrants uh, who didn't know the language or the culture. And you had these terrible situations where they said, you know, there's no limits to immigration. And people went over hoping to be able to bring their family over. And because their immigration policy was such a disaster, 
suddenly the government did a 180 and all of a sudden it was like oh everyone knows there's been a problem with mass immigration we need to stop it now and the people who came over couldn't import their family now in these cases the link between crime and immigration was not dubious right it was not a theoretical stance no one was putting ideology before evidence it was the immigrants that were causing the problems and in some cases the kind of radical islamist jihadists that came in were threatening the immigrants who left their country to get away from those kinds of people yeah so there's a concern about this and uh, there's a poll done by channel four now i'm not saying that this uh, now i'm i think that it would be good to get more evidence on this but it said that 52 percent of Muslims here believe that homosexuality should be illegal. Um, 23% would like In to fairness, see, that's probably true of, let's say, Nigerian Christians. And also yeah. of, of, of Christians that live here, you know, of conservative yeah. Christians. I'm not happy with that, but people would say this is a fragile balance. We've only finally managed to get some tolerance on this. And if we start tipping the balance it can go back the other way apparently 23 percent would like to see sharia law in england 39 percent believe a woman should always obey her husband as opposed to five percent of english people uh, of which uh, you know even though he's not english we can definitely find tam a member of that demographic and then you know 31 percent consider it acceptable for a man to have multiple wives which personally I'm totally okay with. Makes sense right. to me, but I don't know. I, th I think one's bad enough, to be honest. Yeah, no. If, if, if you're stupid enough to want two or more, then, you know, you get your point. You know, they were saying that one in four, one in four Muslims, British Muslims, has never been in a white person's house. And people are scared about these demographics as well as the the example that I've given you from Sweden. And I want to do, I want to be do due diligence to libertarians who are against open borders by presenting these arguments and hearing your response to them. Sure. Okay. You kind of covered quite an expansive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you've got there, the floor. So, yeah. uh, forgive but, me if my answer is somewhat rambling. Uh, okay. We'll try and keep you on some. Okay, very good. Um, so, going to, uh, again, you're starting off with uh, a lot of questions about people moving for welfare states, for generous government programs, all the rest of it. Again, these are arguments against the welfare state. They're not arguments against immigration, per se. So, I'm going to put that one to the side because we've already dealt with that as, a, as an argument. Um, the next part of the argument would be, you know, you say one in four Muslims has never been inside a UK home. How much of that is driven by seeing their local newspaper saying, you know, down with uh, immigration, down with Muslims, all the rest of it? I'd be shit scared to go into a white person's home too. Um, you know, I, I, that for me is not a particularly welcoming atmosphere. And uh, I can see why people might not want to try and force themselves upon the, their neighbours and all the rest of it. Um, another part of it is, again, we're looking at, uh, you're talking about crime and uh, a greater instance of crime that was directly related to immigration. Again, not denying that's happening. But again, you have to look at how much of that is through government policy or failure to police correctly. Um, what, you're, what you're also dealing with there are essentially, it's sporadic um, crime, which is of essentially a low-level nature. It's isolated incidents and not being controlled in some sort of evil ISIS plan to take over the, the whole of Sweden. Um, otherwise, you would have seen somewhat more dramatic uh, incidents than perhaps you have seen. Well, there's been, there's been some pretty dramatic... Don't, don't forget that the press in Sweden is pretty much state-controlled, very highly state-controlled. And a lot of these incidents, we, we know now it's, an, it's absolutely a matter of fact that are cases of widespread rape at one, just one uh, music festival in, in Sweden, uh, in Stockholm. We now know without a shadow of a doubt it was systematically covered up by, uh, by the government, by the law enforcement agencies, 
because they didn't want the public to know that this that, that this this had happened, and that's 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 serious offences. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying yeah. to. I'm not trying yeah. to diminish the actual individual offences and their yeah. uh, impact on in, individual people. You talk about a music festival. You've been to tea in the park. I've seen plenty of uh, Ouija's going on drugs and raping binges uh, at, at these sort of events as well. Hang on, hang on a minute. Rape? You've seen raping binges? I don't know. I, okay, I've not seen <laughs> rape. I've not physically seen this, but you know, I'm I'm well aware of it happening. I, I know of uh, people that have gone to uh, friends of mine that are of the the female persuasion have. have experienced incidences like these and it's you know again not related to was it, what was it systematically covered up by the authorities <laughs> and by the police no it's it's not systematically covered up but it's also systematically underreported rape is a vastly underreported offense within the uk as a, a as a whole because there how are do we so know many that, Derek? sorry how do we know that rapes are vastly under if it's underreported how do we know about it just uh, that's I think that's a legitimate question. If it's underreported, I mean, if people are not reporting, it, how do we know that it's, it's actually happening, but they're not reporting it? Well, I mean, you've got plenty of people that come out and say I've been raped and all the rest of it, and then they've not actually gone to the police about it. I'm talking about reporting through the police for it. The, I mean, you look at the conviction figures for it are somewhere in the region of five percent. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody who is accused of rape should be. Uh, convicted of it, but that to me indicates that there is some serious problem that 95% of reported cases are going without a conviction. It's of course a very difficult crime to... Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we could end up... It's a, it's a, I fear it's a, it's, a, it's a subject in of itself. It is, yes. It's, a, it, it's You could do an entire podcast on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so perhaps we... So might I'm yes. not trying to diminish that in any way, yeah. but what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is actually looking at aggregate numbers across a whole population, because you're talking about mass immigration, you're talking about the impact on a population as a whole. So yeah. if you look at the, the total numbers within the UK, again, um, we, we, you know, we're talking about 5.3 million people within Scotland. Of that 5.3 million, you've got some 50,000 people from Pakistan. Pakistan is an Islamic Republic. You can fairly safely assume that you know a fairly large percentage of those are going to be Muslims. Again, that's less than 1% of the population. You know, if that less than one percent of the population, every single one of them was just, you know, like you say, this there are many that have a, a degree of sympathy with uh, some things that we would consider atrocious. Mm -hmm. So, what how does it affect your life? It makes no difference at all to what a person's individual viewpoints make to you. And as a libertarian, you should support their ability to think what they want to think. So, oh, absolutely, I, ab I absolutely do. I, they can think what they like, they can believe what they like, but they cannot do. What they like, and I, I, and again, I mean, I, I don't see fifty thousand people of Pakistani origin out rioting in the streets every night. It's the, the the numbers would tend to suggest that the population as a, as a whole are, you know, perfectly compliant with the yep. law and order within the UK. Okay, so one more question before we turn to our audience and see what comments we've got during this show. I heard on the left actually proposed when someone said, well, there's this concern that immigrants are coming here and taking more uh, out the system than they're paying into the system. Uh, what do you think should be done with that? And the person responded, well, I mean, rather than stop immigration, the simple, the simple solution to that would just be to have an immigration tax that they would pay to oh, there already schools, is. To there already is. schools and hospitals. Are, uh, there already is an immigration okay, tax. Elucidate. Well, I mean, you, you look at every single visa that uh, you know we have to apply for, and we have to apply for them regularly. Every you know year or two, she has to get her visa renewed, mm -hmm. and it's um, it goes Surely up. that only covers again, the cost of the visa Cost the, the, the cost of a little bit of paper to say you are allowed to work in this country. It's the bureaucracy behind that. Right. The, the bureaucracy behind it. Why then does it cost me 90 quid for my passport or 80 quid for my driving license and all the rest of it? And yet it costs 800 pounds for even just a simple tier two general leave to remain visa. Are the people from the target populations of this immigration skepticism, which isn't someone like your wife, and largely isn't for people... So you, need one, Poland, you need to have one to Poland, from, from Poland or India, where people think, do you know what, I'm, I'm quite happy uh, with the Polish, you know, they come here, they work, they get their head down, they work hard, and then they go back to Poland usually after a few years, or they stay, but at least they work hard and keep their head down. And there's a similar, if you look at uh, 
the Indian immigration, uh, you see Indian doctors, Indian IT people, and so forth. Like to, just well. not, just okay. not to straw man the people who are making these arguments. They're saying, you know, you're not talking. Your wife is not the target population of our skepticism. We fully accept that. Uh, she's gone through undue challenges and we fully accept that people from America and New Zealand and Australia and so forth should be able to emigrate here with more ease but to balance them coming here with more ease which is what they want then the screws need to be tightened up on other target populations who are who are taking more out of the system than they're putting in. Okay, tell me who's taking out more of the system then? Are, are, I am not uh, intimately familiar absolutely. with the stats on the ground. Here's, here's the research here. It's definitely people from. No, but that research could be done. And I'm not saying that I advocate one position or the other. Obviously, I'm trying I mean, to moderate. You are saying this as a position, Tony, and I'm, I'm just. It is a position, but it's a position that's founded on paranoia and not on fact. Okay. That is okay. that's the problem here. So okay. if you can I fear I I fear that we're back to economic arguments again as opposed okay. to as well, opposed I, to again, but the numbers don't lie. Yeah, okay. okay. I mean I don't think I mean again, I mean I've so, conceded that I mean I don't think economic arguments work. Would what but would you but would Okay, I mean here's my position in a nutshell. I believe in freedom of movement. And I believe in open borders. And you've you've got a house there in, in Aberdeen, and you and your wife are welcome to invite whomsoever you will to come and live with you. Including and it's no both business. Of you, actually, I've had both of you. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. Of it's and that's, well, I've, I've tasted your wife's uh, cooking; it's very good. So, I mean, <laughs> I have a so uh, yeah, it, you you have a perfect right to have whoever you want in your home, and it's no business of of the government who does that. Now, that's that's my position. However. I don't think mass immigration and coupled with a generous welfare state, I don't think that is desirable or feasible. What's wrong with that statement? Well, it would, I tell you what's wrong is that you're assuming that uh, Im immigrants would rely on the welfare state, which they don't. It's the people that are relying on the welfare state are UK natives, not, not immigrants. So it's perfectly feasible to comply mass immigration with welfare state because, in fact, mass immigration enables a greater deal of welfare state spending because of the net fiscal positive contribution of immigrants. But it's still, it's still a massive incentive. It's still a massive incentive it's not a free market system so it's still a massive incentive it's an assumed incentive it's an assumed incentive it's not an actual behavior it's not actually uh an incentive that's been shown to exist through actual behavioral responses from immigrants though because behavioral responses show that immigrants actually come here to work or you know, the majority of them do right okay but it's it, it would seem to make sense that out of a thousand immigrants who come here to work, there's going to be a certain amount of them who are going to be disappointed and they're not going to find the work they're looking for. Some of them lack basic, uh, by the way, this could be said of, uh, of local people as well. Some of them lack basic, you know, some like basic numeracy skills, basic uh, literacy skills, and some of them do not have a basic command of the English language. Yeah. So that a lot of them are going to end up disappointed. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's one thing bringing them in once they're in it's quite something else being able to then reverse that and get rid of them well actually um, it's it's not really because um as part of your general uh, leave to remain visas when you, you have you have a period of up to five years you're allowed to stay in the country on those visas and through that you have to provide you know utility bills addresses all the rest of it. the government knows who you are the government knows where you exist um the whole Daily Mail thing about you know oh, people disappear off into the country and all the rest. It's very difficult for them to do that and to be able to work. Yes, you do have black market options. Yes, there are unscrupulous people who will employ people illegally, pay them less than the minimum wage, and that's that's a crime. It should be against the law. I'm fine, happy days. You know that needs to be addressed in a different manner. Okay. But um, once you once you've gone through your period of five years, you have to apply for your indefinite leave to remain and do the life in the UK test. And this is something that's an obligation on people if they do want to stay here. I mean, we're currently preparing for that with GoToMe in 
Okay, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of tests for people. Today. Well, uh, you want to honestly, you want to see what's actually in this uh, test. It's just barmy. Would, you, would your average UK citizen who's lived here all their life be able to answer know. these questions? They wouldn't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big history buff, and there's all sorts of shit in this test, like who is Richard the Third's horse at the Battle of Plodden. <laughs> but, but trigger. Everybody knows but that it was Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this what drives people to distraction because they're saying someone like your wife has to jump through? Well, Tony, this is, this is what everyone has to do. If you want to work in the UK, you need to have this. If you want to work legitimately. You, Even well, if you're a work legitimately, or yes. A, or a migrant from the EU or from someone, somewhere else. No, okay, the, the EU folk don't have to, to, to go through this test, but I mean, you yourself have put, taken the position that you need to restrict immigration from elsewhere, and the way, the way they do that is through methods like this general, generally through remain visa and through the life in the UK test. I mean, if, okay. Even if someone from the EU wants now, obviously, that Brexit's gone, if they want to stay here, they're going to have to do the life in the UK test as well, okay. um, because they'll, they'll revert to normal standard visas after the EU citizenship um, you know, freedom of movement aspect folds once uh, Article 50 has been triggered. Yeah. They, but, uh, and in fairness, though, aren't, aren't, aren't these tests, aren't what you're going through at the moment, all these things that you're going through at the moment, isn't that this government, at least, this government's response to increasing pressure from the electorate, certain sectors of the electorate, they were hemorrhaging votes to UKIP, for example. So isn't that basically, I mean, they, they, they made this pledge that they were going to cut back immigration. They made this pledge that we're going to tighten up and isn't that what you're experiencing? Oh, no, the life in the UK test was brought in by Labour under Gordon Brown, and uh, right, many okay. of the, the fees that we have to pay were actually all introduced by Labour. Um, right. it, again, though, like you're saying, in response to things like UKIP and pressure from the likes of the right-wing press, Daily Express, Daily Mail, and all the rest of it, these guys... Um, well, I, 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 I don't know if the, the Labour Party really sort of were doing things in response to the Daily Mail. I, I, Daily, think, Daily I think they were. Okay. Okay, um, fair enough. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I've seen how those papers have influenced the, the, how, how those papers influence the minds of people okay. who read them the same way that Guardian influenced the minds of Guardian readers. If there isn't anything more either of you have to add, we have been going for over an hour. Okay, well, not, for this, we, not at this point. Let's turn to what the guys out there, whoever's... The, Thank all you for tuning in. Five, six people have been listening. Great, Please thanks for being with us. Double thumbs up to everyone that tuned in. Katrina says, there is no bone of contention. The welfare argument is nonsense. Logic would dictate that we should support a, the smoking ban, minimum pricing on alcohol because of the NHS. Should we limit the amount of children people have? Uh, and she says that deportation is more libertarian than imprisonment. Um, okay. And she she just wants to say that she has she says I can't agree with Derek enough. So okay. you you have Katrina's you you have a you have a fan there. Uh, Thank you, Katrina. <laughs> Cass Paul calls us. Randy and Huckstars. How's it going, my fellow Randy and Huckstars? Well, uh, he certainly is a Randy. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm definitely <laughs> known to be quite Randy. <laughs> yeah, so, Stephen says, to encourage worldwide free movement of people, would it be an idea to encourage Scotland to take the lead in this field and offer individual countries free movement treaties? What do you think of that? Um, politically unfeasible, though. Personally, I, I would love to see that. I'd love to see an independent Scotland take that position. Um, at the moment, however, I think it's politically unfeasible given the common travel agreement with the rest of the UK, Ireland, and the EU as a result. Okay. Finally, Kaz Paul says, Derek is spot on. If anything, open borders and freedom of movement will encourage diversity. Those happy with their station will stay those who cannot will move. After all, if an idea can be eradicated simply by the movement of some people to another place, then how good an idea was it in the first place? People move to where good ideas are. Why are there no, and also, why are there no other parties talking about this stuff, we problems marrying, marrying immigrants and so forth? Okay. Serious question. Do you, uh, so I don't know why other parties aren't talking about uh, um, and because they're not as switched on as, as yeah, we're, we're we've got the, our finger we're, on we're, the pulse. We're ahead of the curve. <laughs> now, 
Aidan Lynn says Sweden is now offering free welfare and driver's licenses to returning ISIS recruits. Well, I'm not sure if that's true or not, Aidan, but please do leave another comment with a source to that story. And I'm sure we will get way more critical comments on this podcast. Can I just say quickly, uh, Katrina's just said that apparently we've triggered a Ouija in her office. Oh no, triggered a Ouija. How how do you trigger a Ouija? (laughs) Talk about Talk about, about the price of chips going up or something. I don't know. So, oh, I, I'm, I'm probably sure it's probably something to do with my tea in the park comments. Right. Okay. Right. Hey, man, yeah. I'm a, I'm a I, proud I, I, rape, rape in the park. I know that Katrina is one of our, uh, this is a hot topic for Katrina. So, yeah. but I, I know that it's also a hot topic for a lot of people who will see this podcast in the yeah. future. And so we'll be. Uh, We'll be looking closely at the comments we receive yeah. over the next. And if you get any rebuttals uh, with with links and information and facts, please post them. And it's a it's a it's a subject we're going to revisit, obviously, at another date. Until sure. then. Yeah. Sorry, Derek. Sorry, yeah, I was I was just going to say uh, as as a last thing, I don't know if you saw Tony. I sent you an email last night with all the links used to the figures uh, that I quoted you here. So. Um, you may want to pop those uh, underneath the video on YouTube and make those, those available. In the video description. Yes, so thank you very much. And would you like to sign us off, Derek? Uh, don't be a righty. Or a lefty. Be libertarians.